Hello and welcome. I am Kim Keen, host of the One of a Kind You podcast. I started this podcast to share my journey of my past self, a woman who was struggling with leaving her teaching career and adjusting to stay-at-home mom life, to help other women with their motherhood journeys or their work-life balance journeys so they can let go make themselves a priority without all the sacrificing. So if you are a regular listener to One of a Kind You, thank you so much for tuning into another episode. We're super excited to have you here. If you're new to One of a Kind You, thank you so much for stopping by to check it out. Um, I hope that you'll find value in it and you'll continue to stick around some more. Um, the way this podcast usually works is that I share a journal entry of mine from about five or six years ago when I was in the thick of the struggle. And what I know now as a certified life coach and what I wish I had known then. Um, but today we have a guest with us. Her name is Rachel Burns, and she is actually a financial advisor. And so I thought, yes, we totally need this um, because waiting for a rainy day to talk finances is never a good idea. Um, and so I'm super excited to have Rachel on. And um, I can't wait to learn about um, her tips and tricks and her thoughts on financial planning and preparedness, especially as it relates to um, saving for college for our kids. So thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Kim. I'm excited. Yeah. So um, have you always been a, a financial advisor or is this like um, something that you got into kind of accidentally? It was definitely not an accident. So I knew in college that I, I think I knew pretty early on in college that I wanted to be a financial advisor. I don't think I totally understood what that meant at the time, but I thought, you know, I like, I like suits and I like, you know, business stuff. So I, <laughs> I had this like idea in my head that was very much like based on the eighties wall street type, uh, advisor. Yeah. And I like that badass eighties lady. I love it. <laughs> huge shoulder pads, yes. like really bright lipstick. Yeah. Yeah. So I love it. When I got out of college and I actually got into the industry, um, first of all, it was a very bizarre time to get into the industry because I started in early 2008. So that was mm. right before the whole world came crashing down. So I'm like, Oh, this is great. I have my new career that I'm starting. And then all of a sudden just like Armageddon with the markets and everything. And so it was a, it was a difficult time to be a new advisor because I was in my early twenties and looked like I was in my early twenties. And, um, but it was, it was a learning experience. I mean, that was like a, that was probably, I don't know. I'm kind of glad I started when it was that crazy. Cause it was, everything just seemed so like chill afterwards, but, um, and I I'm knew sure too, you gained a lot of knowledge and insight about financial planning that you probably wouldn't have gained had you come in at a time where the market was smooth sailing yeah. and there was, you know, no, um, obstacles or challenges with the market. Yeah. So I'm sure that was a much better learning curve. Absolutely. And I know, <clears throat> um, a lot of new advisors that I've seen over the past several years, they've never been through a market cycle like that. So they're like, Oh, we could just be super aggressive. And they, they don't, they don't know what the worst case scenario looks like, which can be kind of scary when they're planning for someone who's older or who's approaching retirement. It's like, if you haven't seen how that can go, I think advisors don't have the perspective to like take the appropriate amount of risk. So I was kind of glad that I got that out of the way early that I learned yes. that lesson. Um, but I, 
I stuck around even when things went sideways and I did, I ended up doing a couple of different roles. Like I was in the financial advisor program. And then I kind of did a detour and trained financial advisors for the technology group for the firm I was working with, which was like the most fun job ever. But my intent was always to get back to the financial, you know, to the client facing side, to the financial advising side. And so I did come back. Um, I came back and wanted to go to grad school. And so I came back to the branch because I, I was like a regional person. I was traveling all over the place. So I came back to the branch, did grad school, and then um, ended up getting recruited by a different team at a different firm. Mm-hmm. And so that was like a very traditional um, career, you know, financial advising career so far. Yeah. But what I realized is, the parts of that job that I really liked were not the parts that I thought I would. I, I wasn't really that interested in managing themselves like that. That's part of it, but it wasn't like the most exciting thing to me, but the financial planning part was so interesting and made such an impact or could make such an impact on, on someone's life rather than just like picking mutual funds. Not that that's not important, but if you're like, Hey, these are the things that you need to do in order to achieve your goals that are most important to you. That's like a kind of powerful thing that you can do for someone. Yeah. And I, I just fell in love with that part of the job and, um, with the types of clients we were working with at the time, they didn't really need financial planning that much because they already had a whole bunch of money. Like people with a lot of money have different planning needs. They're like, okay, how do I hang on to all this money or how do I protect it or whatever, but we're getting even more money how do I get even more money? Like, but there are people who aren't there yet, who really need some, some guidance. And I was like, I would love to offer that to people who like really need that advice. And I especially liked working with women and I had worked with a lot of divorced women and widows just along the way. And I, I found that I just really enjoyed working with them because they were like, oh my God, I'm so lost. I haven't been in charge of my finances this whole time. And now I have no idea what I'm doing. And that was my favorite type of client to work with. And so that was always in the back of my mind. And I thought, oh, wouldn't that be great if I just did that? But I never thought it was possible. And then when COVID happened and we were all home and I was just like, had some time on my hands to think about things. And I was like, I'm just going to start my own firm and I can do that. And I can just work with women and just do financial planning and um, yeah, just work with women who are in transition, who really, really need the help and who have a hard time finding access to advice. So that's, that's how I ended up where I am now, which was not a super linear path. It was not necessarily what I expected, but it was so much better than I ever expected it to be. Yeah. And I love that your passion is helping women because I feel like oftentimes, um, when it comes to finances, we a are not the ones who are dealing with it because we're dealing with all the other household stuff. Um, if we're not single or divorced, you know, it's like, so for me, for instance, like my husband, he does all the bills. If I have to do it, I can, I know how, um, but he's the one who does all the bills and I do everything else. Um, and so, but when I was single, I did my own bills. I did my own finances and things like that. But I think first when it happens to be where you're not doing it for so long and then it's time to take back over, there's like this uh, feeling of fear, like, oh my God, I'm going to mess something up or is there going to be enough or how am I going to know when to do 
X, Y, and Z. And I think oftentimes women, we think like, oh, the financial planning world is like predominantly male. So like there's male financial planners and they're not going to get what we're going through um, because they're not a woman walking in our shoes now being single or divorced or being a widow. And so to have a female perspective is so refreshing because you actually get the struggle that we go through because you are a woman and you've, you know, gone through the whole spectrum of a career as a financial planner. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the female perspective, I think that's exactly it. That when you go, when you go meet with a stereotypical financial advisor, you know, they, the, 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 all the advisors I, I know they're, they're great guys, but they're, they're, they kind of have a prescribed way of like giving advice. And it's very much like, it's tends to be more focused on the performance of the investments. And it's not so, it's not so much about the goals or what the client's trying to achieve. Like they don't necessarily try to ask what's important to you. What are you wanting to achieve and how can we, you know, make some changes with your finances in order to get you there. It's just a very different approach. And I learned that old way of doing, and not that old way, but I learned, you know, I learned the traditional way, but then when I was meeting with clients, they're just like, yeah, but am I going to be okay? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't want, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't care about the charts. I don't, am I going to be okay? And I'm like, well, what does okay look like to you? <laughs> and yeah. then we figure it out. And I was like, oh, this is what people, I mean, this is what women seem to be more interested in. Um, which is, which is great. Cause that's what I like to talk about. I don't want to talk about performance of investments. <laughs> I want to talk about like, let's talk about your kids and let's talk about your life and what you want to do and where do you want to travel? And like, what can we do with the pieces to make sure that you can do that? Yeah. The overall vision. And I think it's, um, you know, not that the man way is a bad way. It's just, um, a lot of masculine energy. So where it's like nice to have that touch of feminine energy, because uh, there isn't always a lot of there's not always a lot of feminine energy in the financial planning world. So yeah. um, as you've worked with your female clients, what is the biggest struggle um, that you've seen um, so far? Or is it kind of like uh, everyone has their own struggles and they're all different? <clears throat> everyone has their own struggles, but one common theme I see is a lack of confidence. Mm. And you'd be surprised at the people who have a lack of confidence when it comes to finances. Cause I work with a lot of women who are extremely intelligent, they're educated, they're accomplished, they're, you know, independent, but they feel like they're not where they should be in terms of their finances, or they feel like they don't know as much as they should, and they feel bad about it. And then it makes them feel insecure going forward about their financial situation. And it's so common because if you think about it, like we don't really learn about basic finance in school, mm-hmm. parents don't always talk about that with their kids. Some parents yeah. do, but mo- I would say that most parents don't. Um, so it's like you move out of the house when you're 18 or 20 or whatever, and you kind of figure it out as you go along. And no one ever really sat down to have like a meaningful conversation about finances with you. And yeah, of course we don't know what we're doing. Like, how would we learn that information unless we sat down and made a point to like read a bunch of books or something like And I went to school for finance and I went to school for a really long time and I still never learned about basic finance in school. I learned about 
economics and financial markets and this kind of big picture stuff. But when it comes to the practical day-to-day management of your finances, like saving and budgeting and debt and stuff like that, no one ever talks to us about that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like we all feel kind of insecure about it because no one really knows what's going on. Yeah. So (laughs) yeah. And it's, you know, I think parents don't talk to their kids about it because they're like, oh, this is grown up stuff. Stay a kid as long as you can. And then we'll talk finances later. But what happens is later doesn't come. And yep. so um, my husband and I, we try to talk finances with our daughters a little bit. They're nine and 12. And um, we've said it when they were really little too, because there was at one point in time where my daughter was like, well, just swipe your card. And I was like, mm, yeah, that's not really how that works, my love. Like you can <laughs> swipe the card and we don't use credit cards. So like, well, that's not true. So back then we would just swipe our debit card for everything. But then um, our checking account had been hacked a couple of times. So then it was like they had access to our checking. So then now what we do is we just swipe a credit card, but we pay the balance off at the end of every month. So we're not yeah. accruing interest. But regardless, I'm like, so we have the conversation, the difference between a debit card and a credit card and how regardless, whatever plastic you're swiping, (laughs) there has to be money there. So you can't swipe a debit card with no money in a checking account because it's not going to work. You can swipe the credit card, but if you don't want to pay interest for gobs of years, extra money, then you don't swipe the credit card. So you only swipe the card if you have the money. And so that's something that we've, you know, tried to insist still relentlessly into our girls' brains. Um, Because when I was young, I was stupid with my credit cards. I maxed them out and had to bust my butt to pay them off. And, you know, it was not good. My credit score was low and I had to work really hard to build that back up because I just swiped and swiped and swiped and swiped. I was like, I'll pay it later. I'll pay it later. Always just making the minimum monthly payment. But then it's like, duh, dum dum. Like you just put yourself in this hole of debt that you can't get out of. And um, while I was busting my bum bum to pay it all off, a girlfriend of mine, same age, more credit card debt than me, she couldn't. Like no matter how much she paid, the debt was just not going away. So like 26, she filed for bankruptcy. Wow. So, um, so that's why I was like, I, you know, try to instill in my kids, like you don't swipe that card. If you cannot pay that balance, the next month within reason, like if it's an emergency or something like obviously like you need a heating unit or AC service or whatever, but like just for the pair of shoes or just for the cute earrings, you can't do it, girls. You can't do it. So, um, yeah, because when they were little, like four or five, she was like, just swipe your card. And it's like, "Er, wrong. We are putting the brakes on. We are not just swiping cards. Yeah. There's a method to the madness here. Yeah. No, that's a super common thing. And like, it's like, that's kind of a abstract concept for a kid. And so you have to figure out, okay, how do I translate that into something that they understand and something that they care about, like that they actually want to listen to you. So I'm, my kids are almost, I have almost four-year-old twins. And when we go to the store, this is a new thing. Now they think that they think they get something every time we go to the store, like they get a toy. And I'm like, no, going to the store is just a part of day-to-day life. And that doesn't mean you get a reward every time. Right. (laughs) And and so they're like, well, why? So we had this big blow up yesterday at the grocery store. My, one of my kids wanted this flashlight and I'm like, no, you don't just get a flashlight. It costs money. And you know, that money could be used for something else. Like I'm trying, it's really hard to get a four-year-old on board with that. But I'm like, I'm going to start early so that (laughs) 
Yeah. Maybe this will get easier over time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, and so my kid, like, so my girl's school, they have something called bank at school with one of the local banks. And, um, so the girls, so when my girls were little, it was like, you know, we did the whole allowance thing for them to do, you know, just five chores a day, every day. And, um, if they missed something, then it was like, they didn't get their full $5 at the end of the week. So, um, we said, you know, you can put $2 a week in your bank, bank at school savings account. And, um, but at first they're like, well, are you, you're putting the money in. I'm like, I'm not putting the money in at your bank at school account. You're putting the money in. Yeah. So it's like, it's a real savings account. It's through the local bank. Um, but they were like, well, I don't want to put my dollars in. I'm like, well, I'm not putting my <laughs> dollars in. <laughs> like you're putting, so then we agree, we compromised. I said, okay, I'll match you. If you put $2 into your bank, I'll put $2 into your <laughs> bank. And so I'll match you. And so, um, so they, with the pandemic it stopped and the teller, when I went in not that long ago, put a, make a deposit into their account. She's like, are they going to do it again? I'm like, lady, I don't know. You're going to have to call the school. <laughs> I just love seeing the kids and yada, yada, yada. Oh, so I'll bet. yeah. So, um, it's like trying to instill those good habits when they're young. And, um, so now I'm, I've got my kids on board with the fact that they can, it's okay to receive money for like birthday, Christmas, and to put it into their savings account, even if they only just put half. And so they're like, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I'm like, Ooh, thank you. So we don't have all this random nonsense junk toys all yes. over the house that they play with once and then never touch again. Yes. Um, so yeah, so just those, like trying to instill those little, things while they're little, but it's not always easy because, you know, it's funny. They don't want to come up off of their own money, uh, but they want to, <laughs> yeah. they want us to come up off of ours <laughs> for the, like, yeah, I like the idea of saving, but not my money. <laughs> right. That's for your money. <laughs> right. So, um, and so now that my girls are older, we have, my nieces are getting, you know, all of the kids in my family are getting older. And so, um, uh, one of my nieces, she's starting to look at colleges, which is crazy town to me. And so, um, you know, so then we have the conversation with our girls, like, you know, your bank at school money can go to college. It can go to a down payment for a house. We can invest it in something for you. You know, there's all, so many different ways to value your money over time. And so like, you know, weighing the pros and cons of like, do you really need the newest pair of Vans sneakers? not on my dime, but your own. And they're just like, nah, we don't really need them. Like we'll wait until back to school shopping when you buy them for us. Yeah. <laughs> but growing up, I had a friend whose mom made her, she made her work all summer, like with chores and extra chores during the summer. And then all that money that she earned over the summer went, she had to buy her own school supplies. She had to buy her own sneakers, her own backpack, her own back to school clothes. And I thought that was like horrific. I was like, what? your mom makes you do that. And so she couldn't afford Nike sneakers, like the newest Nike sneakers. So she had the Walmart Bobos. And I just was like sitting back, like there's no way in hell I'm wearing those Walmart Bobos. Like if my dad won't buy me those shoes, because my parents are divorced. So I was like, then shit, I'm going to my mom. Yeah. I know my mom will buy them. <laughs> <laughs> but now as a parent, as an adult, I'm like, her mom actually did an amazing thing for her. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are, those are lessons learned at a critical time in your development where 
that is not going to leave her. I mean, she's going to remember that forever. Yeah. That's, that's a good mom. Yeah. That's a, a stern mom, a good mom. Yes. So I'm not quite there with my kids (laughs) um, and back to school shopping and making them buy their own clothes. Um, But maybe someday I'll get there. I don't know. I'm running out of time because they're 12 and nine. So it's not going to go. Oh, that that thought. So with that thought being said, um, you know, it's never, I guess it's never too early to start saving for college. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big thing. And that's something I think about professionally with clients all the time, but also I have twins that are going to be probably in college at the same time, which is just the most horrifying thought ever. And so I, as soon as we knew that they were there, well, as soon as we knew we were pregnant, I was already like, okay, we got to get a 529 account. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, by the way, there's two babies. And I'm like, oh my God. So pretty much as soon as they were born, I opened up a 529 account for each of them. And we just started putting a monthly, just a small amount into each one. And then we took a chunk and threw it in at the very beginning when they were born, um, just to kind of boost it. But, Mm -hmm. um, we started early and it's something that just gets deducted from our checking every month. We don't think about it. We have a hundred dollars per kid. And, um, what's been nice is when Christmas rolls around or birthdays or whatever, and the grandparents are like, oh, what toys do the kids want? And I'm like, uh, no, no toys, please, because my house is a complete disaster. And I step on all these stupid things that light up and make noise in the middle of the night. And, and Legos, let me tell you, stepping <sighs> on a Lego barefoot is the like Satan's torture. <laughs> and thank God the, the kids right now still have the bigger, chunkier Legos. But I'm like, I don't think I'm going to allow the little Legos in my house. I think that's outlawed in my house. Cause yeah. Cause I'm say, wait until they get a little, like six, you have um, girl twins, boy twins or one of these boys. 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 Okay. So for the girls, it's Lego friends, but the boys, it's like, they're not Lego friends, but it's the same thing. And let me tell you, those Lego friends are some small pieces and they, it's like, they just multiply on their own. It's like stuffed animals. It's like, where did that Lego piece come from? Because you weren't even doing Legos in this room. You were doing Legos in the dining room. So how did it get in the formal living room? Like, how did that even happen? it's everything is everywhere. It's under the couches. We have a formal living room that's not so formal anymore. Right. And there's like toys under the couch. There's toys in the couch cushions. There's like toys hidden in shoes. There's just crap everywhere. So whenever it's gift giving time, I'm like, Hey, grandparents, how about a contribution to their 529 plans? And what's really cool is most 529 plans make it pretty easy to put money into them. Um, and so some of them will have like a little link that you can text people and they can, they can really easily go in and add some money in there. And you can like keep track of who put in what and, um, grandparents are still going to want to buy crap for their Mm -hmm. grandkids, but I've gotten my parents to at least like put some shift, some of that money into something good rather than more plastic pieces in my house. But that's been, that's been helpful. And that didn't take a lot of effort. And of course we started really early. And so that that's the key starting early makes things so much easier, but that is going to grow into a pretty decent chunk of money by the time they're 18. It already has grown a lot, not in the past couple of months, because it's all taken a dive, but, um, that has been really good. 
And, but that's not everything. I mean, even if we keep adding a hundred dollars a month to it for until they're 18, that's still, I mean, college costs a lot of money depending on where they go, depending on whether they're going to live on campus or they're going to commute or whatever. Like it could be hundreds of thousands of dollars per kid. I mean, who knows, depending on what you're comfortable, like chipping in for and even being prepared by starting a 529, the second, you know, that those kids exist, that's still not necessarily enough. It's still a, ch- a challenge. It's still a huge, like thing you need to figure out how you're going to deal with that. Yeah. And so there's other ways, there's other ways to approach it. So I, I say like, if you're able to save, that's wonderful. Save as much as you can, you know, don't, don't like, I, I try to tell people like, don't, uh, neglect your own financial needs in order to prioritize your kids college over everything else. There's a lot of people that do that. You have to live, you have to retire someday. Are you going to send your kids to Harvard and then, um, not be able to live independently and then just go live with your kids when you're older, just because you had to sacrifice for their college. Like there's a lot of people that are really hell bent on putting their kids through college at whatever cost. And yeah. that's their decision. That's, you know, everyone has their own reasons for, for that, but, um, but it's a giant financial decision that you have to put a lot of thought and a lot of planning into. And I think, um, you know, sa- saving and saving early is one thing, mm-hmm. but then when you get a little bit closer, like when you get to your kids ages and at least college is something that they're maybe the 12 year old is like, kind of aware of and just like I think just having conversations and starting as early as you can by having conversations like this is what college means and this is what it costs and this is what this is what you could do with that same amount of money doing something else like this is like sometimes a college education costs the same as a house or like as the same as a you know really nice Mercedes every year or so like I think it helps to to compare it to something that they understand so that they understand the how big that decision is Mm -hmm. and I I see so many parents giving their teenagers like all the power to make this giant decision on their own which like that's great that's very empowering I guess for the kid but do you really want a 16 or a 17 year old making a decision that costs you a couple hundred thousand dollars. Like my kids, I I don't know. I have no idea what they're going to be like when they're teenagers, but I can't imagine being that confident in their decision-making abilities at that point. Yeah. Cause the brain's still forming. And, uh, sometimes we use the wrong motivating factors to make decisions in that age range. Yeah. And then like, I don't know. I, sometimes I'll talk to teenagers and I'm like, Oh, so where are you thinking about going to college? You know, what, what, what made you like that college? And sometimes they're like, Oh, I like the, you know, it's close to the beach or it's, you know, they have a good like sports program or whatever, but going there. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the boy I like is going there or something. But, um, I think looking when it, when kids are a little bit older and it's actually kind of go time when it comes to, to figuring out where, where your different options are. I think like looking at, okay, what are the factors that are important in this decision? Is Mm -hmm. it some, do you want a school that is known for your particular major or do you want someone where, or do you want a school that has like 
you know, the ratio to teachers to students is, is high or low or whatever. Um, like what, what's actually important. So you're not just like willy nilly picking schools, you know, based on the pictures and their brochures, um, because you're expecting to get a return on investment. I mean, as a parent, you're expecting to get a return on investment and kids that's kind of, they don't quite understand that yet, but if you're going to take your kid who is, you know, let's say you have a kid who's kind of a slacker in school, doesn't really know what they want to do. doesn't not super ambitious. Are you going to invest a few hundred thousand dollars to send them to some private school to major in something that they kind of sort of are interested in? Or do you like, you know, some people have kids that are like, oh, I knew I wanted to be a doctor from the day I was born. And I was like, you have to, you have to consider the potential return on the investment that you're going to put in your kids. And it's not, maybe it's not very nice to think of your kids as investments, but like, what are you going to get out of that investment? And maybe it's worth it, but it's just, it's just a big decision that just has to be thought about more than I think it is thought about. Yeah. 100%. And, and the other thing that, um, as we were talking, I was like, you know, sometimes there's the mom guilt of like, oh my God, I didn't start saving soon enough. Like, you know, some, some moms, it's like, oh my God, my child is 15 and I haven't even started saving for college because there hasn't been extra money to do so. Yeah. So, um, like what's your tip for getting started or like for having that like guilt around it? So the guilt, I mean, if you been prioritizing your living expenses over saving for college, you're probably doing the right thing. Like there are things that are more important than saving for college. I'm someone who went to college for a really long time and I'm not, I'm not going to say that going to college is for everyone. And it's, it, it, it is what it is. It's good for certain situations, but it's, it's not the end all be all thing. But, um, if you didn't save don't beat yourself up for it because it's understandable, but there's, there's other things that you can do. So you can do things to reduce the cost of college, not just save for it, but you, you, things like looking for scholarships. I think a majority of people don't put in the effort to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and you'd be shocked at all sorts of random scholarships that exist. You know, there's some that are for kids that have some that are academic related, like if they have really good grades or if they have, you know, a sport that they participate in or whatever, but then there's also other totally random ones. So when I was in college, I got a scholarship every semester for my dad's company. The CEO of the company made the scholarship every year. I was the only kid who ever applied and I got it every single semester. And I would write a letter to the CEO every semester. Thank you so much for the scholarship. And then I would get it again the next semester and it was just free money. I mean, it didn't pay for all of my school, but it paid for like a chunk of it. And yeah, not that that's available to everyone at all, but what I'm saying is there's random opportunities if you look for them. Um, and then understanding how financial aid works, that's something that would be good to start learning about when your kids start high school, because financial aid is a complicated thing, but it can be yes. a really helpful thing. And so you want to make sure that you understand going into that, how that's Mm going to work for your family. And you can maybe do some strategizing with your finances to make sure that you, you know, get the right aid that you need. Um, financially it is so complicated. I used to work for a student loan company. That's actually where I met my husband. 
Oh. And so we did graduate student loans. Oh. So I was actually a customer service rep. So I had to know student loans, like the back of my hand, like the Pell Grants, this, that. And so it's been, my gosh, I left there in 2005. So it's been a long time. So needless to say, all my student loan knowledge has gone out the window. Um, but we had to know LIBOR. We had to know all about the interest rates. We had to know all of it. And let me tell you, it is not an easy thing to learn and navigate, especially because like I have no financial background. Like before then I was, you know, working in a student loan company, but I was going to school to be an elementary school teacher. So, <laughs> um, but college students, graduate students would call and their loans would be denied because they had bad credit or this, that, the other, and they would be so irate, but it was like, it's nothing on our part. It's what you didn't do. So, um, understanding student loans is a must. If that is all that you do before your kids go to college, check good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so there's student, there's student aid, you know, yeah. there's, there's like the aid that you can get, but then there's, and then there's just straight up loans that have yes. to be paid back. And, and, um, I think the key is understanding what you can get without having to pay back, yes. get as much of that as possible yes. before you even think about borrowing money yes. because student loans, there's a, there's a time and a place where that is absolutely appropriate, but it is not to be taken lightly because you can make decisions or your kids can make decisions that will haunt them for years and years and years. Yes. And so full transparency, I went to, so I didn't go to college right out of high school because I was having some um, boy issues at the time, but my parents only had $13,000 saved for me. And so that all went out the window, like first two years at community college. And so then when I moved to New Hampshire with my husband, he went to law school and I finished my undergrad degree. So I was working on my undergrad in my like mid twenties. So I was like five years older than everyone on campus. Um, and so law school, he took student loans. So we, when we graduated in 2008, I had out of state tuition. So I graduated with a nice chunk of change in student loans because my parents didn't have any cash and I took the loans myself. Fortunately, my last year of college, I got so much um, federal money and scholarships. So I really, I didn't have to take loans my last year of college, but I still graduated with five figures of student loan debt. And my husband graduated with six figures of student loan debt from law school. So 2008, when we graduated, we literally graduated with a mortgage worth of student loan debt and then yeah. bought a house. So we basically were paying on two mortgages. And so my student loans are paid now. Um, but my husband, we, let's see, he graduated law school in 2008. So it's been 14 years and they're almost paid off but it is a long-term investment that you pay every month and it's not cheap. So yeah. So student loans. Woo. Yeah. They are heavy duty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're they're And they're so easy to get and they're so hard to get out of. It's like getting married, getting married is so easy. Getting divorced is so much more complicated with yeah. the student loans. Like it's just crazy that students are able to get themselves into that type of situation without even fully understanding it. Like it's, I think it's actually really unethical that it's that easy for kids yes. to get into. Um, yes. because I've, I see people who their, their life is impacted in a major way. Like I, I 
was talking to a girl the other day. She went to law school. She had like $500,000 in student loan debt and the, the payments are on deferment right now. But when they start up again, it's like $4,000 a month. That's crazy. That's like a beach house. Yeah. Like a, like a nice beach house. Yes. That's insane to me. Yeah. So it's not so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, but some people need it and that's, that's fine, but no guilt if you do. Right. Just understand, just like, make sure that what you're spending on, like, make sure you're making the right decision about which school you're going to, and then have a plan for how that's going to be paid off. If you're going to be incurring several hundred thousand dollars in debt to get a job where you're, you're hoping to get a job afterwards, that's going to make $50,000 a year. Like, yeah, that's probably going to be, you're probably going to have a hard time with that for a long time. But if you're, you know, if you're going to nursing school and you have to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars, or I don't know how much it goes cost to go to nursing school, but you have a reasonable expectation of paying that off relatively quickly, Mm -hmm. then that's a good investment. And that's fine. It's just, it just has to be a thoughtful decision. Yes. Yes. And so I think it's super just, I think the biggest takeaway is just recognizing that it's like, it's okay. If you like didn't start, it's okay. If you've made mistakes in the past, um, you know, not letting those things hold you back from moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. And not, not getting yourself into an even bigger predicament because you didn't do some things to prepare, like you don't have to do anything extreme just because you didn't start early. And another, another random way that a lot of people don't think of a lot of companies offer tuition reimbursement. So Mm. that's not really super helpful if you're not working, but if you're, if you're work, if like, if you were willing to work for a little bit and then go to school, you could get a whole bunch of money for, for school. And like, I just Googled the other day, like companies who offer tuition reimbursement and there's tons of companies. I think Taco Bell offers tuition reimbursement. Like, yeah, I I think they do. And I got my, so I got scholarships for my undergrad that paid for most of it, but my entire MBA was paid for by my employer, a hundred percent of it. Then I went and got a second master's with the, when I was working for a different company and got all of that paid for. And I don't think most people at that company knew that that was an option. I mean, people, you just gotta, you just gotta look, you might be, you might be surprised at how much free money there is laying around. That was like $60,000 that I got for free. That was just, just for putting in a little bit of effort. Yeah. Which I mean, that's like, that's really not a bad gig. If you can work through the job and you know, meet the requirements and stay there. Like if they have a, you know, a contingency, like, oh, you have to work here for an, a year after you get your degree, yeah. but you Which is likely away with no debt, then like, yes, totally. And, and some people, you know, want to go to college the second they graduate high school, which is understandable, but having work experience is really valuable too. I knew yeah. so many kids when I was in the MBA program, I was like the older girl because I had been out and working for several years. And there were all these kids who had gone through, you know, high school, straight to undergrad, straight to grad school, had no work experience Yes, and they couldn't get jobs. I'm like, yeah, it's having an MBA is nice, but that's not, it, you still need to have like a well-rounded, you know, 
uh, resume and, and other things to offer, like than just a degree, but yes. you like, I think it's really good to take some time off of school and, do, and get some work, you know, experience and then, and then get some tuition reimbursement. Like why not? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was, you know, at the time it felt catastrophic that I didn't go to college right out of high school, but it was actually such a blessing because my priorities were vastly different when I went back. So I was more dedicated to my studies. I did so much better in school. And even my husband's like, yeah, I kind of like slacked off. I didn't always do like, and my, my in-laws paid for him to go to college. So he graduated undergrad with no student loans um, because my in-laws paid for all of that. Um, but he went to a local university in state tuition. So it was expensive, but it wasn't astronomical. It wasn't out of yeah. state tuition levels. Yeah. Um, so this has been, um, so helpful. So now I'm like, okay, 529, <laughs> I'm going to look into it. Cause I know that we do have a college plan for my girls, but I don't know if it's a 529. So I'm going to do some investigating and, um, check it out. But if anyone that's listening has questions, can they reach out to you? Absolutely. Um, if you go to my website, it's trueworthfp.com. There are places where you can book a free strategy session. And I'm super happy to talk to anyone about anything. I love talking about college stuff. I love talking about kids stuff. I love talking about everything. So people can always reach out and I'm full of pointers that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy to chat with people. Awesome. That's perfect. So, um, all the ways, and she has a free ebook, what's your free ebook about? It's uh, five things that newly single women should do with their finances to protect themselves going forward. So it's intended for like newly divorced or newly widowed, or, you know, just some, someone who's kind of managing their finances on their own for the first time. Which I feel like every woman, every woman should read it because who knows if there's ever a time where we're going to have to manage our own finances, or even if we're not managing our own finances. So we're set up to be able to do it if need be. Yes. Um, but yes. all of this information is in the show notes. So don't worry ladies about trying to click the internet and go into the black hole of Google. Um, you can get to Rachel just directly through the show notes. Um, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today on One of a Kind You. It's been a pleasure to chat. I feel like you need to come back because I feel like there's more financial stuff to talk about because we literally just scratched the surface. I would love to come back. I would love to keep chatting. <laughs> awesome. So um, if you found this episode helpful, please feel free to share it with a friend, which I think that you should because we all need to think about college or like financial planning for our kids for the future. Um, so please feel free to share because the more the merrier. And if you'd be so kind to leave a review, I would greatly appreciate it. I take the time to read all the reviews to ensure that um, one of a kind you continues to be a place of support and guidance. Um, and just to let you know that you're not alone because let's face it, us moms and us women, we have to stick together. So thanks so much for tuning in and I hope to see you next week.